featuring the creator and lead host of Clutch Crew Sports, Zach. Unfortunately, uh, Eric is an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, and uh, he went through a pretty rough postseason watching uh, my Portland Trailblazers pretty well dismantle his team, so... Dang, okay, um, okay. I did, did not realize we were going to go into that. <laughs> you sure you didn't lose your train of thought by looking at this picture here? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Zach really likes Alex Morgan. Also featuring Eric, I'm a co-host. I specialize in NFL and NBA. If a topic upsets me enough, I'm going to rant about it. So, if Cincinnati you know, wants to turn this around. They've got a few pieces that they can start with and then try to rebuild and get some more draft picks and get some younger talent in there and start it now. Just to face it now that you're going to suck and try to <laughs> try to fix it for the future. For people that want to say Steph is an all-time great or one of the greatest players of her, uh, even maybe the greatest player of all time, how can you really say that, though, if he would have four championships and not have been the finals MVP in any of them? Also featuring Connor, the number one co-host. And I'm going to lock that. I'm back, baby. If you're not going to do it, I'll double lock Middleton because everything I've read has been that he's the number one priority for the Bucks. Like... In their minds, they could forget Brogdon and, and Lopez. They need to get Middleton back. I'm locking this one because I've got oh, all my survival oh, okay. thing. I, I need to write this down on a piece of paper. Yep, that yep. is locking Denver being Chicago. Welcome back to another episode, guys. Today is our miscellaneous topics episode. We've got a couple different topics here for you guys. Uh, our first topic of the day is going to be talking about college football quarterbacks and specifically the pro prospects. So that will be led by me. I'll take up about 20 minutes of time talking about that. Connor is going to be talking about quarterback contracts and some really overpaid quarterbacks. And then we've got Eric here to talk about triple doubles, how important are they, and I'm honestly curious to see where it goes with this, um, as I as I don't really know where it'll go. But we do want to give you guys a September count. So as of right now, Eric is still in first place with 19. Uh, I'm in second place now with eight. Nate is in third with three, and Connor still in last with zero. But he might be going to his college campus and driving. Listen, Connor, exams and papers are no excuse. I could bribe people like that. I could be like, hey, I'll write like a quarter of your essay if you subscribe to the academic affairs doesn't hear us. <laughs> Allegedly, this is all. Yeah, <laughs> it hasn't actually happened yet. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but but Eric, uh, he's been uh, every day adding a couple to that list, and I was, you know, it's a double-edged sword for me because like you see the subscription totals go up, you're like sweet, but then you know it's Eric bringing in all these subscribers, he's winning right now, but. Um, uh, things have been going really good lately. Like we've been getting a lot more attention from this. Uh, people in Germany listening to us now. Shout out to the Germans who are listening to our episode a while back. Um, we've been interacting on Twitter a lot. My boy Aaron Swarm. Um, he's he's been really fun to chat with on Twitter. Um, we have talked quite a bit. He actually inspired me. To, uh, to come up with this topic here because he's a big Justin Herbert fan. Uh, you'll hear my take on Herbert uh, as well as the other quarterbacks. So shout out to him. He's got a podcast too. Uh, we'll be promoting his stuff as well. Um, any of you 
you guys have some good uh, good interactions with other podcasting groups lately? Uh, I, mean, I don't know if you want to be talking to me. It's <laughs> <laughs> mainly directed to Eric. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, there's a group on Twitter called Sports Podcasting Network, and ever since I followed them, they subscribed to us right away, and they retweeted us uh, when I promoted our NCAA football recap episode. They retweeted it, and also I've had a few more um, Coffee with Friends podcasts. I shout out to you, Millennial Sports Talk, and official Rory. I appreciate all you guys as well. There have been a few others as well. And of course our boy Jackson who found us on Twitch. He's at Mobile Kid God on Twitter. You can follow him. He interacts with us a lot as well. So it's been you know, whether I get to roast you guys or whether I get roasted at the end, uh this November thing has been really fun so far this month because we've met a lot of new people we've got some new fans which is really cool and and not only that like you know we've also found other podcasts that we've been enjoying listening to as well and so we'll definitely yeah like zach said with aaron you know we got a few others too we'll be happily promoting them so i've been having a lot of fun doing this and hopefully i I don't want to get arrested (laughs) (laughs) yeah I forgot to mention, uh, Aaron's podcast is called Something Like a Podcast. Uh, I guess because they don't just focus on sports, they talk about all kinds of different topics. Um, so that that's the name of his podcast. You can buy it on YouTube, iTunes. I'm pretty sure he's got the anchor set up like that, so it goes out to basically everywhere. Um, but check him out. He, he's pretty good. I, I like his stuff. Uh, but let's get started here with our feature episode. Um, so my topic, like I said, is going to be about college quarterbacks, and I really wanted to focus on, I think, the four biggest names coming into this upcoming draft, uh, being Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Jake Fromm, and Tua Tagovailoa. So you see their stats up here. These are current stats from this season, and their yard stats, touchdown interception ratio, uh, completion percentage, and Burrow really leads in all of these categories, most touchdowns, highest completion percentage, most yards, by a lot. Uh, I think Burrow's, it's his Heisman to lose at this point, especially after that big win against Bama. Um, so certainly, he's been getting a lot of attention, but also you have Herbert, who is coming into this year, or actually last year, he could have been a top draft pick as well. He decided to stay at Oregon, um, and it's interesting now he's got, I think, more competition with Burrow and Tua and this year's draft than he might have with Kyler and really nobody ended up taking Haskins out early like we thought they would. But We're going to eat Giants. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They went with Jones who uh, nobody really saw coming. Uh, and then... Jake Fromm here from Georgia. We're talking about him as well. And of course, Tua, Tank for Tua. That's been the Dolphins slowing for like two years now. Ever since he won the national championship, I feel like Tank for Tua has been a Dolphins thing. Um, but you see their stats here, and I talked about Burrow having the highest. Fromm, out of these four, has definitely got the lowest in each category. He's got less than 2,000 yards. Lowest touchdowns uh, and lowest completion percentage, but to be fair, Georgia's offense is, out of all of these teams, much more run-heavy of an offense, so that's why his numbers aren't as big, but I'll be talking about my thoughts on all these quarterbacks coming up here in these next slides. So, I, I really don't think stats are everything, especially when it comes to evaluating talent, because there's so many different variables that go into the stats. So I'm going to talk about my eye test, and I haven't really watched many Oregon games. I've, like, I'm mainly an SEC guy, so I see Fromm a lot, I see Bill a lot, and Tua. Uh, those three I know a lot more about, so I feel like Aaron definitely has more knowledge about her since he's been a big fan of his. But if I want to rank these quarterbacks... Um, going back to this last slide here, what I think that I think their NFL careers will be 
than one to four. I'm gonna put Burrow at one, Herbert at two, two at three, and Swan at four. Um, and I'll start with Herbert here. So basically, Herbert, he's a mobile guy, but he's also got a big arm and can really swing the bell. To me, my only real issue with Herbert is that I haven't seen as much of a progression as I have from his season last year to this year. It's He hasn't gotten worse or anything, but he's just not progressing at a higher rate than we would have thought for staying an extra year at college. Um, I still think he's going to end up being a really good quarterback, and if I had to like make a comparison to him right now in the NFL, which I normally don't make comparisons or anything, but I think he's a Matthew Stafford type of a quarterback. I don't think he's going to be like winning MVPs or being the reason his team that makes it deep in the playoffs or anything, but I think he's serviceable. He's going to be a franchise quarterback for a long time. Uh, I, I'm high on him. I, I think also out of all of his quarterbacks, he's the safest pick. I think whatever team picks over is going to be knowing what they're going to be getting, and I think he's a low-risk pick, but I don't think he's got as high of an upside as uh, some of the other quarterbacks. So Herbert's going to be your safe pick. Um, coming out of Oregon, it's a, it's a high-powered offense there, Road, West Coast, but still I, I do like him. I, he's going to be better than Mariota was, I'll tell you that. Um, so I guess, Aaron, I don't really think he's going to be as good as you think he will be, but I still think he's safe. He's going to be good and really just a solid pick for whatever team gets him. Um, also, I think he's a quarterback that can start right away. So I think if he's forced to start week one for an NFL team, I don't think it'll be too much for him. I think he'll be fine. Um, I think he's the most pro running right now. And then Jake Fromm here is the second quarterback I'm going to talk about. He's on the right with the Georgia uniform on. Uh, Fromm, to me, is kind of the opposite here. And I've got him ranked fourth out of these quarterbacks. And I don't think he's going to have a good career. I think because quarterbacks are in such high demand, he's probably going to go in the late first round. But... From I see as being a potential bust. Uh, he's not progressing at all. Whereas I said, Herbert is kind of staying steady, slightly progressing. Sean has actually regressed this year. Uh, that South Carolina game I watched was really ugly, and South Carolina is not a good team. Um, so that game right there showed you the downside of Fromm. And Georgia does not really win because of Fromm. They won because of their rushing attack and their defense. Fromm is just kind of there to make the, throw, make the throws when they need him to be thrown. But if you look back at the stats here, the completion, the completion percentage isn't great. The yards aren't great. Touchdown interceptions aren't great. Um, he's regressed. A lot of people hyped him up coming into the season. Uh... But to me, he's regressed. He's a big quarterback. Um, he's built really big. But I don't see him being that well. I think he's going to be a bust to whatever team takes him. And then we've got Burrow and Tua on this page. So obviously they face off. Their teams face off head to head this last weekend. Burrow coming out on top. And a lot of people are surprised about Burrow. Uh, however, I'm not because I I saw Burrow last year and I saw flashes of brilliance and I, I'm not surprised at all that he's having this type of a season. Even earlier in this college football season when Burrow was putting up big stats and everything, people weren't sure if it was going to be sustainable, but I was one of the people that thought that this was going to be sustainable and I thought from the beginning that Burrow was going to be a legit Heisman candidate. And he's proven that so far. And so comparing the Herbert and Fromm, Burrow has definitely progressed the most. I mean, he went from being a relatively small main quarterback. I mean, I'm not going to say small main, but 
he was definitely not thought of as a first round pick, whereas now he's almost a lock to go in the top five. That's how big of a jump he's uh, taken this season, and he's completely changed his LSU offense. I mean, LSU used to be a defense team, a running team, all those great running backs coming from LSU, all the great defenders. The quarterback that was there usually was never better than an average quarterback, I think it's Zach Mettenberger uh, a couple of years ago. So, whereas Joe Burrow has reinvented this offense in such a brilliant way, I, I just love that about him because he's taken a team that was not known for being an offensive powerhouse to now being the best offense in college football. Uh, he's a pocket passer, he's big, he's mobile though, he got basketball scholarships from big time schools. Uh, so he's athletic, he can take hits, he can move around, but still, I've, I've been impressed with Burrow since last year, and this year has just made me more impressed with him. Uh, so he's my number one quarterback, however, I would still say that there is a potential for him not to do well, but assuming he, like, he's definitely got the biggest upside to me. I think out of this class, Burrow, could be the best quarterback we've seen in a long time. Uh, not just this class, but last year's class, the class before that. Um, Burrow, to whatever team he goes to, I think Cincinnati would be really fitting since he came from Ohio State, uh, if he goes back to Ohio. But whatever team he goes to, I think is going to be maybe not instantly better, but in a couple of years, they're, if, assuming that they get some more talent on whatever bad team he goes to, he's going to be able to take that team uh, far, I think. So he's got, like, teammates love him. He's, he's charismatic. Um, he might not be what you, like, he might not look like it, but he, I think he's going to be a really good quarterback. Uh, and then you've got Tua over here on the right. Tua's interesting because... I think Tua, out of all these quarterbacks, is going to be the hardest to evaluate because he plays on such a good team. I mean, he's throwing to guys that... He's throwing to basically three first-round wide receivers on this team. He's got great offensive linemen on his team. So, obviously, we see, you know, we see this with Kyle Murray at Oklahoma last year, great offensive Oklahoma team. They had the best offensive line in college football. They had Marquise Brown. They had C.D. Lamb on that team for wide receivers. And now it goes to Arizona, which has like one of the worst offensive lines, pretty poor receiving group. And he's been doing pretty well with that, with what's there. So I think Kyler's going to end up being a good quarterback. But with Tua... Similar to Kyler, I just don't think we know what we got in him. Uh, he's played in big games before, and he's had mixed results, because obviously he came in for relief in that Georgia National Championship and, uh, and won it, but then at the same time, he got blown out by Clemson last year, uh, his team did. So he's got mixed results in the big games. He definitely has that experience there, which I do like. But still, it's just hard to evaluate him. He could end up being really good, but I just don't know. I, like, to me, whereas Burrow, I think, is working with a little bit less. He's still got great receivers, but with Tua, it's almost like anybody could be. I mean, Mac Jones put up a ton of points against Arkansas. I know it's Arkansas, but still, with that Alabama offense, I feel like any quarterback can really do, you know, succeed in it, um, but I'm not going to take that away from Tua, I think he's going to be really good, I just, he's more unpredictable to me, Burrow is unpredictable, but I just feel more strongly in Burrow than I do in Tua, um, so my rankings from these four are going to be Burrow at one, Herbert at two, Tua at three, and then Fromm at four, um, I'm curious, I guess Connor will ask this too, since he's mainly the other college guy, college follower. Um, do you agree with my list, or is there something you'd like to change? I mean, it seems 
fairly okay to me. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of Justin Herbert, unfortunately, to really, I can't evaluate him very well. Um, like, not nearly as much as I've seen the other three quarterbacks. I mean, yes, uh, yeah, I agree that Tua is going to be unpredictable. I mean, all those people that we're talking about, like you said, tank for Tua, I, I don't think that's going to work out. I think Tua is going to have a tough time in the NFL. He's going to come in as another one of those, you know, college, like, you know, if actually if I'm going off those, you know, past, uh, how you say, like, precedent, I guess, is that Alabama quarterbacks have never had much success in the NFL. It's just the style of offense and the style of team that Nick Saban runs, and the fact that the team is always so good. It's not just the quarterback that's carrying them. You never hear of quarterbacks from Alabama, you know, lighting up the stat sheets in the NFL or, you know, making... Traditional backups, yeah. Right, yeah, they're traditionally career backups. And so, I mean, while I'm sure there's people out there that think Tua is going to be different, I don't see how he is going to be any different. He's just a college-oriented quarterback, and I don't think he's going to be able to adapt his game to the NFL as well as someone like Burrow or possibly Herbert. Jake Fromm, I think, I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap. I don't think he, I still think he's the worst out of this group like you do, but I think he's a, I think a little bit more highly of him than you do. I mean, <clears throat> I know he played bad in that South Carolina game. I watched a little bit of that and that wasn't good, but I think he's got a lot of untapped potential that we haven't seen yet from him that could possibly, uh, I don't know, maybe come out in a bigger stage. Maybe if Georgia makes the college football playoff, we can finally, you know, really see how good he can be. Um, but Burrow, I, watching Burrow last week against Alabama, I mean, he looked like a Heisman-winning quarterback, and he looked like an NFL-ready quarterback because he's not... There's so many of these college quarterbacks you see that play the style that Tua plays where it's like, you know, or maybe the style of play like Lamar Jackson plays. Obviously, Lamar Jackson's doing good this year, but I think Burrow can really be a good pocket passer, which is what a lot of NFL teams need. And I think Burrow, like you said, by far is the most NFL-ready of any of these quarterbacks. And he did kind of come out of nowhere. The fact that this is his first year as a, you know, a full-blown starter because he was sitting at Ohio State behind, you know, I can't remember his name. What is it? J.K. Dobbins? Was he the quarterback in 2016? And then obviously he had he to lost to Haskins. Yeah. And then he lost to Haskins last year. But it was like in 2016, he, I think it was during the Bama game, he yeah. had like his journey to the NFL. It was like he, or a journey to LSU. Like he started in and he lost the job and then he was supposed to be the starter in 2017. But then he got, he like broke his thumb or something and like ended up, you know, not playing the year. And then, he lost the job to Haskins, so he transferred to LSU. So we'll see how that goes. Like I said, I can't objectively make a decision on Herbert because I have not watched much Oregon games. But, um, you know, we'll see how he goes. We'll see how everything works out for him. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think Herbert's going to be safe, though. I, I don't see Herbert as being a bust. Um, I, whereas I don't see him being the best QB from this class, I think he's going to be safer here against him. Uh, yeah, I, well, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of, like, major, major expectations around him. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, some of these older, older quarterbacks, like Tua, like, everybody's going to be expecting Tua to light up the statute and, you know, possibly, like you said, you know, tank for Tua, all these teams are going to be expecting a playoff run out of him, whereas I don't think that's going to happen with Herbert. He's not going to have the hype around him that most of these other quarterbacks going into the league have. So I think that's going to help him a lot. Yeah. Eric, uh, any any contributions to this? Or are you good? Uh, no, I'm good. I, 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 mean, I would like to, but I, just, I don't watch enough college. It's okay. I, I think you guys hit the nail on the head pretty good with this. All right, we'll move on to the next topic, and I'll let Connor take it away. Yeah, so this is something that I have uh, mentioned quite a few times in the past, but it's just the NFL, the contracts, especially for quarterbacks, I'm not just going to pick on quarterbacks here, I'm going to pick on other offensive players a little bit, but mainly for quarterbacks, it's like the contracts right now are out of control. I mean, we keep hearing it, every new player that gets a contract is about the next highest paid player in the league, and that's the biggest contract ever given out. And... At some point, you know, you just can't sustain this level of 
I don't know how you want to say, but like, you know, this the contracts aren't going to be able to go any much higher. They can't go up forever. Eventually, you're going to, you know, you're either going to run out of money or it's just, it's just going to get completely ridiculous to where players aren't going to play for, you know, just average salaries. And so I wanted to touch on these three quarterbacks you see on this slide here, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, Carson Wentz. They were three of the biggest um, mistakes, if you want to call it that, in my opinion, in terms of giving contracts to quarterbacks. Because it all started back with Jimmy G, you know, when he went to the 49ers, and everybody thought he was going to be the next big thing. And the 49ers wanted to make sure that they locked him up for a long time. So they, you know, they came out with a five-year, $150 million contract. It was the biggest contract ever given out to a quarterback. And when my dad and I were discussing this when it came out, we were just saying to ourselves, like, who in the 49ers, you know, war room thought this was a good idea? At the time of giving out this contract, Jimmy G was, he had just come over to the 49ers. Yeah, he was, you know, 7-0 and at, at that point. You know, he'd won two games with the Patriots and the five games with the 49ers. But it's like, how can you judge a quarterback based on seven games, regardless of whether he won or lost. It's not really a good measure of how much, how good of a player he's going to be just off of seven games. And it's something that we see a lot with rookies, you know, these rookies that have really big seasons, but now you go into year number two, and now everybody has game film on you, everybody knows your tendencies, everybody knows your strengths, your weaknesses, and you tend to see a big drop-off in the second year because everybody's figured you out. Well, the, that hadn't quite kicked in yet for Jimmy G because he hadn't played very many games yet. And if you want any proof, you just look at this season right now. Yeah, the 49ers are 8-1, and one, but none of that... I mean, I'll give a little bit of credit to Jimmy Garoppolo, but it's definitely not... Jimmy Garoppolo is definitely not the reason that they're 8-1 right now. It's been the defense and it's been the running game because if you go and look at the stats for the 49ers this year and the passing stats overall, Jimmy Garoppolo is near the bottom in terms of quarterbacks that have started every game. So, but it all had to start with him and it all uh, kind of erupted from there. Matthew Stafford got a big contract from the Lions. Derek Carr got a big contract from the Raiders. And then uh, and then Matt Ryan got his contract from the Falcons, which out of those guys, and then Kirk Cousins, I forgot to mention Kirk Cousins as well, with his contract from the Vikings getting paid $80 million a year. And if you look at that group of quarterbacks, I mean, if you exclude Matt Ryan, you look at Stafford, you look at Carr, Cousins, and Garoppolo, there were zero playoff wins in those four quarterbacks. And those four quarterbacks, before Ryan got his contract, were the four highest-paid quarterbacks in the league. Now, I can forgive Stafford's contract a little bit, because Stafford has been the franchise quarterback for Detroit for a long time. Like, he's their guy. He's not going anywhere. But kind of the same thing with Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, where did Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins put up the numbers or the wins to deserve that kind of money. And so, and then it just kept evolving from there. Matt Ryan got his deal. Then Aaron Rodgers got his deal and became the highest paid quarterback. Then Ben Roethlisberger restructured his contract to become the highest paid quarterback. And now you look at Carson Wentz and Jared Goff getting their deals and Remember we talked, if you guys remember back to our NFL preview, talking back to the beginning of the season, how both Nate and Zach picked Carson Wentz as their MVP pick, and Carson Wentz is certainly not looking like an MVP right now. I mean, he's been doing okay, but, you know, he's not worth the $39 million or whatever it was that they gave him, and guaranteed money, and then also his contract right now, so... And then if you look at Jared Goff, he's been on the decline. I mean, he set the record for the highest, the largest amount of guaranteed money in a contract, and look at where the Rams are right now. They're a distant third place in the NFC West, and they just lost to the Steelers, who, you know, I don't think anybody saw that coming. I saw it coming because I'm a Steelers fan, but... (laughs) 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 But it's like, you know, all these court... And now... The final piece of the puzzle here is now Dak Prescott, where he's been talking about, 
I want to get this money because in all, in all likelihood, I don't think Dak Prescott's going to be in Dallas next year now. Because if he wants this contract, Dallas doesn't have the money to pay him that anymore. Because they gave Ezekiel Elliott the big contract, which I will say is completely justified because Zeke has been arguably the best running back in the league for the past, you know, three or four seasons. But now they don't have the $30 million that Dak Prescott wants. And where is he going to go? Is he is some other team going to throw $30 million a year his way and, you know, waste money on a quarterback who's not proven, who doesn't have it? I think he, does Dak Prescott have any playoff wins? I can't remember. I don't think so. He's got one. Mm-hmm. That's right. They won that game last year. Yeah. That's right. And so... It, but, like, you know, it's not like you're giving a $30 million contract to Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees or Ben Roethlisberger. And that's another thing I wanted to touch on with the quarterbacks is that I have to put the spotlight on Tom Brady here because if there's one thing that I will compliment Tom Brady on is that he is very smart when it comes to his contract. Tom Brady is not even close to the highest-paid quarterback in the league. I mean, I think the only quarterbacks that he's making more money than are like uh like ryan fitzpatrick and patrick mahomes who's still on his rookie deal like a bunch of rookies basically but like every other quarterback who's gotten like sam Darnold's making more money than tom brady is right now and but in a in a way that's very smart tom brady recognizes that okay i don't need a big 30 million dollar contract i've already got money what we should be doing is we should be putting this money into the rest of the team and building up a team because football is not a one-man sport in basketball you can get away with having one superstar and having them carry your team to victory if you just look at lebron james and the cavaliers for quite a few seasons but in football just because you have a superstar quarterback does not mean it certainly helps a lot but it doesn't mean that they're going to you're going to go to the super bowl and the Patriots have been able to do that. They've been able to focus on putting money into getting other players to fill those positions when, because Tom Brady's not taking up $30 million of their salary cap. Whereas you look at teams now like, you know, the Vikings and the Falcons who are struggling, and now they have less money to go put in to shore up, like, for the Falcons, their defense. They don't have money to go out and find a superstar defensive free agent because they've already given all that money to Matt Ryan. And same with the Lions. They don't have all, any money to give to maybe the defense or maybe finding another receiver to go for with Matthew Stafford because Matthew Stafford's taking $30 million. So the NFL contracts need to start. I will say, if I have to give my opinion on what, the NFL owners, NFL owners, I'm going to give you some advice here on what you should do with your contracts. The NFL needs more performance-based contracts because if there's one thing you've seen in the past five, six years, it is not only are players getting big contracts, but they're getting huge, huge, huge chunks of guaranteed money, and very little of that contract is performance-based. So even though... It's like, if you suck, like Jared Goff's deal, his total deal was $36 million. $31 million of that was guaranteed. So even if Jared Goff has, you know, the worst season imaginable, or even if, he, if Jared Goff gets injured, he's still making $31 million in guaranteed money. Not Nothing to do with performance base. He could have the worst season imaginable, and he's still getting $31 million. And the players are taking advantage of that. They know that the NFL owners are caving in and honestly being weak on these issues and giving into the player demands and not standing up for the team and thinking about the team first. And it's going to lead to a lot of teams failing in the future because they're giving so much money to one player and they don't give it to everybody else. I feel like I repeated myself there. But it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's kind of what I had to say about the contracts. I don't know what you guys have been thinking about the contracts and how everybody's been like the, the next player is always the next highest paid player. Yeah, Eric, do you want to go first? Or, uh... Yeah, I am definitely in agreement with Connor here. I mean, these contracts are obviously starting to get out of hand a little bit. I do personally think the contract situation is worse in, in basketball than it is in football. True. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at 
know Harrison Barnes, okay. Anyway, <laughs> anyway um, but back to this topic specifically, I definitely am in agreement with Connor, although the only thing I will say is that it is, it is really hard in the NFL to find a good quarterback. Like, unless you're a team that's able to you have just like a really bad year and get that obvious number one overall pick or something where you know you, you know you're gonna get a great quarterback it's really difficult to find a good quarterback and so what happens with these teams is even when they get an average or maybe slightly above average QB they feel like in their minds as if they need to lock them up long term because we'd rather have an average to above average quarterback than risk losing him and then the person we end up replacing them with ends up being worse. You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like this mm-hmm. is kind of what happened with Jacksonville when they gave Blake Bortles an extension. You know, he had just gotten I mean, it wasn't all on him, obviously. We know he's not a great quarterback, but you know, he had just gotten the Jaguars to the AFC Championship game, almost even got into the Super Bowl. You know, he had a pretty good year that year. I was down. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't down. Yeah, I'll still never forget that. But at the same time, uh, going back to what I was saying, I think the Jaguars felt in the right mind. You know, we know Blake Bortles is not the best quarterback, but if we let him go... You know, we're stuck with, um, I want to say Chad Henney was still the backup that at the Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. So his contract was up too, so. Because obviously they didn't want to bring him back. And then, did they, you know, in their minds, I think it was, do we risk starting over with another rookie? Or do we keep the guy that we know we got to the ASU championship with? And they didn't give him like a monster contract or anything, but still, they, I didn't like the way they structured it, but. Well, that's two years, twenty million or something. A year. It was like three years, something like that. But anyway, that's a, it's a whole that's a topic for another day. But 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 that's what happens to these teams. So you know, these guys like Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo, like you know, these guys, yeah, they're not necessarily amazing quarterbacks. But like, if you're the Rams, you know, you spent the number one overall pick on this guy. They they don't want to let him go and because then that looks like as if they made a bad investment on their part you know jimmy g the 49ers traded for him you don't want to send draft picks to another team and then not even keep the guy that you brought in so then what they do is they like well we know these guys want a lot of money and so they feel like they have no other choice and then that's why they get into this situation and so it's not that i think they should be doing this it's just in their minds it's what they feel like they have to do. Now, obviously, a lot of the times it doesn't work out. I mean, you know, Jared Goff has not been having a good season. Jimmy G, Stoutwise is not having a great year. You know, a lot of these quarterbacks that are, like, in the top five to ten highest paid QBs are really underperforming for sure. But I, my, I guess my biggest takeaway about Connor's topic is I'm 100% in agreement that it would be better if NFL GMs and owners could start finding a way to get these players to accept a more incentive-based contract. The, only, the problem is what they it's almost like they've dug the hole so deep now it's, it's impossible to climb out. out. Because, you know, if you're like Dak Prescott, for example, and say Jerry Jones says, all right, you know, we'll give you you know, that $40 million a year you want, but only a small amount of it's guaranteed. And then if you go out and put up these numbers or get these many wins, then you get the full $40 million. He can say, like, well, screw that. There's 31 other teams out there. At least a few of them will give me the guaranteed money that I want. You know what I mean? So I don't know how they go about doing that, but that's really something these owners need to look into because... You know, these quarterbacks are costing these teams a lot of money, and when they underperform, it doesn't just hurt the quarterback, it hurts the whole team, like Connor said. So, Zach, I don't know what else you have to add or what you think about it, but... Yeah, I'll add some thoughts. Um, yeah, sure. So, to me, I, I don't do 
much as a problem as I view it as more of uh, incompetence as a general manager to give out <laughs> a big con. I mean, you think of, and then another thing too, just to play a little bit of a devil's advocate, like if you pay, let's say, um, let's say Carson Wentz here, you give him a huge contract. I don't, I was surprised by that more than I think any of these because of his injury concerns, but uh, you pay him a bunch of money and everything, but still, if you think about it, he, like, I know Nick Foles did the playoff run, but he did the regular season run for their Super Bowl uh, run that they had, and he was on a rookie contract, so you were, like, you were basically getting away with it, with uh, him as a rookie, on a rookie contract, and then you overpay for him now, so it's like, yeah, you're eating all that cost now, but you still got, like, a great deal from him those first couple of years. Um, and another thing, too, like, about Dak Prescott, Eric, you basically said that I was going to say about him, like, uh, if Dallas, you know, every day they wait, they pay a dollar more for him because, uh, especially with the season he's having, he's not, like, regressing, like, whereas if Goff hadn't signed that contract, I think he wouldn't have gotten as much as he got in the offseason, but Dak, on the other hand, is playing towards a big contract, so, yeah, absolutely, he's going to be the highest paid quarterback if, uh, if he goes to free agency, there's no question about that, but I, it's like all positions, too, you overpaying free agency, the teams that win are the teams that draft well. And you maximize talent from your young draft picks, and then you overpay, and you're never going to get the value that you overpay for the players in free agency. They're just to take you over the top. It's very rare that you pay for a free agent, a superstar free agent, and get that value out of them from their contract. Um, that's not how teams win. Uh, but it is fascinating. Um, I think the running back market is actually going to kind of correct itself or um, go back down because uh, with, the, with the Zeke deal, with the David Johnson deal, with the Gurley deal, all of those players after getting their big deals haven't played as well. So... I mean, Zeke has still played fairly well, but... You know, I, I don't think Gurley and Johnson. Yeah. Only Gurley and Johnson. Yeah, and Le'Veon Bell, too, is another one. Bell, yeah. yeah. So, the thing is, is after a while, like, they're going to start using that against other players. So, it, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes, but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't really see it as a problem for the league. Um, I just think it's more of, like, a team-by-team team issue, like, uh, you got to be wise with your money, and you still got to have your principles. Uh, you know, you, so I don't think it's a league-wide issue. I think it's more of a team issue. And as far as like the Brady pay cut thing, I think Brady's the only quarterback that can take a pay cut because he can trust Belichick to build a team around him. I think any other team, any other quarterback taking a pay cut, they risk not they risk incompetence. You know what I mean? Well, I didn't mention this either, but Drew Brees actually is one of the lowest-paid quarterbacks in the league, too. Yeah. I mean, like, I get Sean Payton's good, too, but, I mean, you know, it's like, some of the, if you look at the Saints and Patriots, they're two of the best teams in the league right now. But, yeah. But, uh, but still, I mean, it's, I think it'd be pretty risky for a player to take less money if they don't have a guy that's like a Bill Belichick or something like that, but um, but yeah, this, this is a fascinating subject to talk about, there, there's a lot you can go on and on about this uh, situation going on, but we'll move on now, uh, Eric, I'll let, you, uh, I'll let you get started about your topic. Yeah, man, so, I won't take, I'll try to not take too much time talking about this. Yeah, about 20 minutes. Yeah, so as you, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see on the screen, I've got a clip I'm going to analyze here from the Los Angeles Lakers and Chicago Bulls game a few days ago. There was a lot of hoopla going on about this game because it was 
LeBron's third triple double in a row, and people were saying, I, I can't remember like the last time a Laker player had done that or something, and it was a big deal. But as a Thunder fan who watched Russell Westbrook play for several years, I wanted to bring this up and talk about it because he's averaged a triple double for like two years in a row or something like that. It was like an insane thing, and and so of course like. All you hear, like all over, like Sports Center and like national talk shows, you just you hear in all over social media, you you hear people all the time. You know, oh, triple double! Oh, this guy got a triple double! Like this guy dominated with a triple double! Like Russell Westbrook's averaging a triple double! It's amazing! And and I just kind of the reason why I wanted to bring up this topic is because. I kind of want people to calm down a little bit on the triple-double thing. I feel like, for the most part, that triple-doubles are very overrated. And especially with the rebounds. And that's what I wanted to talk about in this part, in this part of my contribution to this topic's episode. So... I'm just going to let Zach play this because I don't know exactly like when I know there will be parts where it pauses and stuff. Oh, before, I, before he starts playing it too um, I want to give a shout out to Bruce Blitz from BlitzSportsNetwork.com I've been a member of his website for a few years now and he does a lot of amazing NFL and NBA breakdown and he'll he'll put the footage up from the game and break it down. So I've got this footage from this game off of his website. So I wanted to give him yeah. a shout-out and a credit for that. That's where I'm getting this material from. I did not make this myself or anything. So so basically what I want to talk about before Zach starts playing this is so this was the LeBron triple-double game. And I want to point out the what I feel like is overall – just not that rebounds are insignificant because obviously you need to get rebounds more than the other team but a lot of these triple doubles these guys get okay I'll let you pause it real quick Zach so that's LeBron's first rebound from this game and as you can see there's like no one around him this is an uncontested rebound and the reason why I'm pointing this out is because a lot of guys that get these triple doubles and Russell Westbrook was especially known for this while this video is about LeBron I'm not necessarily wanting to like just call LeBron specifically but this is footage that I was able to obtain so that's why I want to show this but you see this happen a lot with these guys getting these triple doubles so that's why I wanted to show this so this was LeBron's first one right here you see there's not really anybody around him easy grab you know Anthony Davis could have got the rebound any other Laker player like McGee could have probably got it, but so that's the first one. And notice too, you'll notice when Bruce is analyzing this, he moves around a lot. LeBron stands in the low paint a lot for most of these rebounds, and a lot of players do this. They'll kind of just when their when their man doesn't have the ball, they kind of just chill down there and wait for these rebounds. So, Bruce, did you pause it, Zach, or is it still going? No, it's still going. Yeah, because. So, look, I mean, this one right here, you'll see the ball is heading towards the out-of-bounds line, and LeBron just kind of jogs over there and grabs it. This is another rebound where it really wasn't significant because if it goes out-of-bounds, it's still the Lakers' ball. There's no bull player, like, contesting him, trying to grab it from him or anything like that. So... Just another instance of it being insignificant. So once again, you'll see he's already on the low block. He's not even near his man. And so this guy, he's paused it here. So that's part of the problem, too, is I just, since I'm not able to do this myself. But, but, I mean, look at that rebound. I mean, do you see any Bulls player within five feet of him? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, real, real, you know, real tough work to get this rebound here. I mean, man, I don't know. I, I'm glad I wasn't on the court because I don't think I could have got that. <laughs> So he shows. So that's his third rebound. So he keeps. He shows that one a few times in his analysis. There talking about. I'm sure he probably said similar things to what I was saying. So hopefully he moves on to the next one here pretty soon. I'm not sure why he spent so much time on this rebound, but 
But see, as you can see, after the three rebounds he's shown so far, none of these were contested. Here he is on the low block again. Not really near his guy. Now this one I'm going to give him credit for, though, at least, because this is one where he does challenge and contest. And he plays... He, did try to get some defense there, but again, like, there were three other, if you saw in that rebound, you'll see that the Bulls guy was heading out of bounds from his momentum. There's three other Laker guys in the area. Anybody could have grabbed that rebound. So this was another non-contest, but I will give him credit for the defense there for coming over and helping, but at the same time, the rebound was not contested at all. So that's his fourth one. And while I'm waiting for the next rebound, um, Another thing I guess I wanted to bring up, too, is I really wish that there was a stat in basketball. I mean, I know they have offensive rebounds and defensive rebounds. If you'll just pause it real quick, Zach, here before. Okay. Um, I just want to finish this point real quick. I don't want to miss the rebound here. But I really wish they also, in addition to the offensive and defensive rebound stats, I know this would have to be like a judgmental stat, but I wish they had a stat for contested rebounds versus uncontested rebounds. Because I think if people really knew, like, what some of these players have to go through for some of these rebounds, whereas other times they're really easy rebounds, I think it would help people make different judgments about, you know, some of these triple doubles. Because I know another thing that Bruce pointed out about this game, too, was that none of LeBron's rebounds in this game were offensive rebounds, which generally offensive rebounds are more valuable than defensive rebounds because you're giving your team a second chance at scoring the ball, so it's more valuable than a defensive rebound. But I'll let you go ahead and keep playing it here. So this is going to be the, this is going to be the fifth rebound. And again, he's kind of down there in the low block. Uh, he's got, you know, Lori marking it in the corner there, which uh, with where the ball is at right now, he's not a threat at all. So, let this play out. I mean, that one there were, there was like one Bulls player in the vicinity there. He had a little bit of a contest there. He backed off because he knew, he knew he wasn't going to get out there. At the same time, he wasn't, he wasn't really challenged on this. But, I mean, out of the five so far, I mean, I guess if you could say any of them were remotely contested, like maybe this one. And then he does give a good outlet pass on the fast break there. So I give him credit for that. So again, this one, low block. His guy's nowhere near him that he's guarding. And he, uh, so that one he got off a block. I mean, so, again, like, there was no one around him. You know, if I was camping out there where he was camping out, I could have grabbed that, you know, not much skill in that rebound there. Yeah, I mean, he had, to, he had to work really hard for that one, you know what I mean? So that was his sixth one, I believe. That booth player should have passed it out to any, either of those guys out on the corner. Um, yeah, he should have. That, 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 that was a bad shot by the... That was a bad shot by the Bulls player, and then it looks like there's bad transition defense by the Bulls there because Slaker player got way ahead there. Okay, I'm pretty sure this one comes off a free throw. I mean, these are definitely very... These are rebounds the defense should be getting. Not sure why he kept pausing this one. Yeah, so this is another... I mean, he did have to technically box out the bullet guy, but, I mean, Kuzma could have grabbed that rebound, too, there. He actually kind of put his hands out, but LeBron grabbed it, and he had to, like, pull his hands back. <laughs> it was almost like LeBron's like, I'm getting this rebound. But, you know, again, you know, very minimal effort had to be given to get that rebound. But that was number seven, so now we'll go to his eighth one. There he is in the low block again. You see it from that mouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bruce really likes to highlight that, so... <laughs> Uh, he's going crazy with it right now. You can tell he's probably gotten more upset as he goes farther along with his analysis here. But So he paused it again on the shot. Not very good form by Zach Levine there on that three. That one, I mean, he, 
like, let's, I'm going to let, let it play out again. I mean, that one, you know, there's some action going on there. So that one was a little more contested. So that one I'll give him credit for. Okay, so that was the that was the eighth rebound. Now we're going to move on to the move on to the next one here. I don't know why he rewound that. <laughs> I don't know why either. <laughs> I guess maybe he's pointing out his running form. He does look kind of <laughs> goofy there. I don't know. <laughs> I want to say this is one where he like another one where he kind of like steals it from his teammate a little bit because he was kind of coming up from the backside here. But I'll let it play out and make sure. Yeah, hopefully he actually wants to play. <laughs> oh my god. Bruce, just let it play out. Yeah, just let it play out. You're killing me here. Taking out my time. No, I love you, Bruce. But look at that. Okay, so again, if LeBron James wasn't there, do you think a Laker player still would have come up with that? Absolutely. So, uh, not really, you know, no challenge from any Bulls player. That, so again, like, he did not have to give any effort on that one, so uh, so that's his ninth rebound. So while we're waiting on him to get to the next one, I mean, this is nine rebounds we've seen, and only maybe two where he had to really, you know, truly give an effort to grab the rebound. So I'm just going to kind of wait for the next one here, it looks like. But LeBron's not in the low block on this one. He came up and challenged the player getting the pass. Uh, uh, he rewinded? I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Oh, no. He, yeah, he rewinded a little bit. So, just kind of waiting on him to... Come on, Bruce. Play it out, man. Play it out. <laughs> oh, sure. It's like a skip. But I guess, like, you know, I know, I know there's not enough... I don't know if you can, like, skip 10 seconds or... No, you can't do that. Okay, that's the that. one where he steals. That's the one. That's the one where he stole it from a teammate. There, I mean, you see when the teammate like falls down because like LeBron ran into him there. But why he did give an effort to go up there and get the ball. Like there were plenty of Lakers players around that could have grabbed this rebound. No, <laughs> Warriors in the vicinity. <laughs> no, yeah, poor Quinn Cook, man. He, <laughs> left the Warriors and now you have that happen to you no, <laughs> but so that, but, I mean that's an instance so that was his 10th rebound so I guess that was where it stopped because he cut the analysis off so you can cut the video yeah. off but that's kind of my point with this and like I said too before like LeBron's not the only person that you know gets easy rebounds like this so I, I don't want people to think like you know like oh I'm calling out LeBron I'm calling out LeBron like it's not just him like there's a lot of people that you know they'll especially do this too like later in games like okay like okay i've got 20 points i've got eight rebounds i really need to get those last two rebounds and they'll kind of camp around and try to hopefully grab them and russell westbrook was especially known for this too like when i watched him play up for the thunder a lot i mean i remember i was watching a magic game like one time a couple years ago zach and i were we weren't together, but we were both watching the game and talking about it. And I think we determined that Russell Westbrook got three of his rebounds from camping out by the free throw line, and then his big men were boxing out, and then he would just swoop in and grab the rebounds. I mean, the concept of a triple double is definitely overrated, in my opinion. I do feel like people need to calm down a little bit on on it. I hope after showing that film that people will feel the same way. I mean, obviously, points and assists and rebounds, I mean, obviously, they're all important, but I feel like when people watch, I feel like a lot of people don't even watch the games. I think they just see the stat line at the end, and they're like, oh my god, this guy got 29 points, 11 assists, and 10 rebounds. I mean, he was really cleaning the glass, like, well, you know, if you saw, as you saw from that game, that, that, that isn't always the case. So, and I, I could go into, too, like, with assists, like, there's some stuff where I feel like, you know, these, these players get a lot of really easy assists on their triple-doubles, and the, the assist numbers are skewed, and the points numbers, depending on how well the player plays in the game, can also be skewed because... You know, you can have, you know, 25 points all you want, but if you got it on 6 of 19 shooting, 
then you really hurt the team more than you did good. Now, that's not always the case, too, with these triple-doubles. Sometimes people have great shooting nights on them. Sometimes they don't. So I didn't really want to argue that either. But my main thing was the rebounds, and I feel like people need to calm down a little bit. Uh, now that you saw that, that film, and I know you guys have seen a little bit of you know the basketball so far this season, like, do you guys have any other takeaways? Do you agree with me, disagree with me? What do you think? Uh, I'll, I'll go first on this. Um, to me, when I was watching that video, I didn't really see anything new. I mean, I feel like those rebounds and stuff have, like, always persisted in basketball. Like, I mean, there's always going to be times where the ball bounces to a wide-open player, and it's, like, no option but to grab it. Like, you don't want the ball to just bounce out of bounds and slow the game down. Like, you just want to let it go. Um, and then to kind of defend Westbrook and LeBron and some of the other guys that get these big rebound totals, I I don't, I mean, there's probably some instances where Westbrook was, like, trying to get the average triple-double, so, like, he needed, like, one rebound to get that stat. But, like, for the most part, I think it's more of a team decision on those because it's going to be easier for your offense if your ball handler is able to get the rebound, whereas a big man to get it to pass it to the ball handler, ball handler slows the game down for your offense and you have less of a chance to get a fast break or something. And you saw one of those times the Brown had that full court pass to somebody to get an assist in points. So I don't know if it's necessarily stat padding as it is you're just trying to have a faster pace um, and it's yeah it is unfortunate that these are counted in stats because the stats of just a pure rebound stat doesn't take into consideration contested versus non-contested so yeah you gotta be careful when you're looking at the stats but I just don't think it's all stat padding and I don't um, I don't think this is anything new uh, it's just and uh, about the triple doubles too to me I think you should have to get 20 points for it to be a triple-double because 10 points does not equal 10 assists when you think about that. Each assist is worth 2 points, so, or potentially 3 points. So I think triple-doubles, you should have to get 20 points minimum, but uh, those are my main things about the triple-double. But it is interesting because uh, people are using it to boast about players. Um, yeah, and, and before... before Connor goes, I just want to say, too, I'm not necessarily fully saying stat padding. I mean, I definitely think some yeah. players do. I mean, like you said, especially, I mean, I, and I mentioned it, too, like, especially if they've got, like, eight assists or eight rebounds, they're really going to try to go, you mm -hmm. know, and there's, like, five minutes left in the game. They're really going to try to get those last couple that they need. But my point is more so... You know, there's people all over social media that are like, wow. Yeah, I agree with you. Man. Yeah. <laughs> they, they grabbed 12 rebounds. That's amazing. What else can you do? Like, well, <laughs> watch the game, you know, and you'll see that, you know, not all these rebounds are, you know, where they're crashing against other guys in the paint or they, they have to spend a lot of energy to get the rebound. You know what I mean? But that's more so what I'm concerned about, like, I just, I get annoyed when I see people like, oh, well, LeBron's better than Jordan because... He gets nine rebounds a game, and Jordan only got five. I'm like, not, not as valuable as you think. <laughs> you know, like, that's more so like well, that's a lot taller than Jordan. And of course, like as a Thunder fan, it annoyed me too when people were, oh my God, Russell Westbrook, he was averaged a triple double for two straight seasons. Well, how far did the Thunder get in the playoffs? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't necessarily equal champion. I want championships, like. I would rather my Thunder get, you know, a ring than Russell Westbrook average a triple-double in the playoffs. I, I don't, if that's not, if it's leading to wins, then great. But if it's not, then we need to figure something else out. So that, that's more of my main concern is yeah. the people blowing up these rebound numbers like they're a huge deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I agree that the rebound numbers, you know, don't obviously aren't as much as they look, but you know I am gonna agree. I will say I don't think the triple doubles are quite as overrated as maybe you were saying. Because like at the end of the day, in my opinion, like you know at least you're still you saw this <coughs> excuse me 
on those rebounds where it's like, you know, a Laker player could have gotten that, like, you know, why not? At the end of the day, like, him, LeBron James waiting for that rebound and him, he being the one getting it, like, it's not hurting the team at all. Because they were going to get it anyway, so I, I agree the rebounds don't look good, but I think triple doubles, and I agree with Zach also that I think you should have to get 20 points, because 10 points is incredibly easy for some of these super superstars to get. So, especially in games where, you know, you're scoring 115 points. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, you can't, if you can't get 10 <laughs> points, then, you know, you suck. <laughs> like, I'm not, I mean, unless, you know, you're going out there getting, like, you know, double digit assists, rebounds, and, like, blocks or something, then, you know, you suck if you can't get 10 points. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I... I agree with a lot of the points that both of y'all made. I mean, I don't have too much to add since I don't really watch the NBA that much, but um, the, the rebounds to me are a bit overinflated, and, but I do think the triple-doubles are still important. I don't think they're quite as overrated as you might be saying with the rebounds. Although I would be, impre- I would be impressed to see someone who had a triple-double getting a 10 assists, 10 blocks, and 10 steals. Now that's impressive. <laughs> that would be the toughest uh, to get. <laughs> so, someone needs to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Alright guys, so this is the end of the episode. Uh, we'll be back in a couple days releasing our reaction videos to the weekend of sports as always. I uh, hope you guys take care and have a great rest of your day. Bye. Peace.